1-800-227-8586. The views and opinions of the guest and host you hear are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Radio 1, its sponsors, or advertisers. Ah, mon Afrique, réveille-toi, il est midi, tu dors encore, réveille-toi, n'écoute pas Babylone, il te fournit des armes pour tuer ton peuple, n'écoute pas Afrique, Africananga Oya, bat-toi cheveux crepus, bat-toi maïel et bosimbani babigé, Oya bilanga bosimbani bakongo, simbani maboko mouna le kate o Africa, malobate, mon salande, mouinoyangolo, Africae, mobalia mingao, Africa. And welcome to Congo Live, the authentic voice of the Congolese people in America. I am your host, Patricia Lokwa, joining me with Kambali Musavuli, who's on the phone with us today. How are you doing today, Kambali? Well, I guess uh, his line dropped, but he'll be calling us back. We have a quite an interesting show for you today. We have a show we're going to be talking about Elephant's Dream, which is a great movie that came out um, by Christophe, who is a great Belgian uh, producer who basically does a movie around... Um, Three different civil servants in the Congo talking about their day, everyday lives and talks about changing the narrative of how Congo is perceived uh, as we see it on the outside world. And we're going to share a little bit, uh, a little bit of stories regarding Elephant's Dream, and we're going to talk to him. And but before we do, let's have a conversation with Kambali. And uh, are you on the line with us, Kambali? Okay, we're having a little bit of uh, difficulties, but um, we'll go ahead and uh, continue the show. (laughs) Sorry about that. I'm going to have my engineer go ahead and fix this for me. We're having a little bit of difficulties bringing him in. Hello, Kambali, are you there? Oh, he's breaking up. Um, so today on the show, we're going to be talking about, as I mentioned, uh, with uh, Christophe. But before we do, I'm going to share a little bit of the news uh, until we get Kambale in. If you'd like to make a call. And... Um, Sorry about that. We're getting a few things fixed. This is live. This definitely happens. It's not the first time, and I'm sure it won't be the last time. And uh, thank you for your patience as we try to get Kambale on the phone and we try to um, hook him on. Promesse lendemain, promesse de l'eau, bon d'un état souverain, où le sol se dérobe entre milices rebelles, puis à Jérusalem, peuple que l'on déplace comme des cheptels, de parcelles en parcelles, pour 
gouvernance en tutelle est à nos droits essentiels, à nos ethnies unies au pluriel. Effet papillon, effet tampon, car ici on change leur en blanc. La révolution au bout du vote, la force du nombre est l'antidote pour changer la dette en dot. Autant de droits que de devoirs, plus de points de convergence que de différences. And welcome back to Congo Live. Uh, Kambal, are you with us today? I am there. Can you hear me? Finally, we're having a little bit of a difficult time. We're working with the engineer trying to get you in, but uh, finally we got you in. Um, we were basically just talking about the show that we're going to have today, which is called Elephant Dream. And uh, we'll be sharing a little bit more uh, regarding this movie, and we'll have the producer who will join us a little bit uh, later on the show. But before you do, can you please share the news with us? Absolutely. Uh, a lot of things still happening in the Congo right now. A coalition of uh, men opposition parties held a three-day convention this week in Kinshasa, at the end of which they announced a set of direct actions and civil dis disobedience action for the month of December in an effort to prevent uh, Joseph Kabila, the president of the Congo, uh, from remaining in power beyond the constitutional mandate. The context, as we've been sharing uh, with our listener for the past few months, uh, Congo uh, is due to have a presidential election next uh, this uh, November. The president of the Congo cannot run again. Uh, this is the end of his second term. Unfortunately, as uh, a few African presidents are doing right now, uh, he's trying to latch on to power for longer than his uh, two mandated term. So these actions uh, from the Congolese people, from the opposition party, is to stop him from doing so. Um, another news, mainly for our sports uh, fans or listeners, uh, Tepe Mazembe, a Congolese uh, club, a soccer club, is actually playing tomorrow, this Sunday, uh, in Algeria for the African Cup Championship. If Tepe Mazembe wins, it will be the fifth time in the history of the cup that they would have prevailed. They won, they won in 1967. 1968, 2009, and 2010. So this is a very historic moment for the Congo, especially as they play tomorrow. Uh, we are wishing them good luck uh, for the game tomorrow. But back on the political discussion, uh, there has been a lot of talk and confusion this week uh, that surrounds a proposed expected dialogue between uh, Etienne Chisekedi's UDPS, a major political party in the Congo, and uh, the Kabila regime. Uh, some re reports indicate that the dialogue will begin on November 15 with the moderation of a UN representative, uh, while other reports indicate that the dialogue has already begun. Uh, UDPS denies these allegations, uh, these two reports, and that UDPS actually right now is the only major party that is entertaining a dialogue with the regime of Joseph Kabila. All of the major parties in the Congo have uh, refused to participate in this dialogue and are focusing on uh, having a, an election next year without the current president of the Congo. And the last news is the resignation of the president of the Congolese Commission for the electoral, um, the independent um, group that handles the elections. It's called CENI. Uh, Abe uh, Apollinaire Malumalu has resigned, and uh, his vice president also has stepped down. So all eyes is on the elections in the Congo next year, 
And uh, for our American listeners, they will also have a, an election in the United States. So it's quite interesting to see the similarities in the political landscape for both nations. Le jour d'après, premier juillet, promesse le lendemain, promesse de l'aube d'un état souverain où le sol se dérobe entre milices rebelles, pillage et recel, peuple que l'on déplace comme des cheptels, de parcelles en parcelles. Gouvernance en tutelle, état de droit essentiel, à nos ethnies unies au pluriel, effet papillon, effet tampon, car ici on change leur en blanc, la révolution au bout du vote, la force du nombre et l'antidote, pour changer la dette en dot, autant de droits que de devoirs, plus de points de convergence que de différence, et oublier l'état providence. Congolese rapper Balonji singing Le Jour Après was the same song that we had uh, played a little bit uh, while we were fixing a few things. The song is sampling an original independence, independence cha-cha by Joseph Kabasele in the 1960, which was the same song to celebrate the Congolese independence. In the song, Balonji sings about what Congo became the day after independence, comparing it to its promises for an African continent. Kambali, how do you feel about that song? How does it make you feel? It's a very interesting perspective from uh, Baloji. You know, uh, we celebrate the independence. Uh, Congolese, June 30th, 1960, was uh, our independence. But in his songs, he's thinking about the next day after independence, uh, which is a very interesting twist. There are always many hopes. You know, hope we can be living as we had with Barack Obama in 2008. But after he got into office on November 5th, there were things that were a reality and different. So that's what he tried to bring up with the song Baloji, specifically with the song uh, Le Jour, uh, Jour d'Après. Um, what are the promises of the Congo? Uh, where they met on July 1st? Uh, what is Congo today? And so on. So he's a very inspirational artist. And he lives in Belgium, just as our guest today, Christophe. Absolutely. And if you could share a little bit of uh, his bio, I was talking about Le Jour Après, the day after. Uh, our guest is going to give us a great perspective of the everyday life of the people in the Congo, despite what is happening. But if you can share a little bit of his bio with us, that'll be great. 
Christoph is a great filmmaker. You know, I'm really very, very honored to actually have him on the show today. He studied uh, filmmaking in Brussels, and he had his master at the National Film and TV School in the United Kingdom. Uh, he has worked uh, on the film. His first film, actually, uh, was titled Three Women. Uh, it's about female detainees in uh, Belgian prisons. And this film was actually awarded. It was shortlisted at the Henry Stark Prize and shown twice on Belgian national TV. Now, for our film, uh, uh, the film that I, I had the pleasure uh, to see in Harlem, uh, it was actually a selection of Congo in Harlem during Congo Week uh, this last month, Elephant's Dream. Uh, this film has been shown in over 50 festivals worldwide and won several awards uh, around the world. Uh, I look forward to have our listeners learn more about Elephant's Dream as we welcome Christoph Bilsen. Christoph Wilson, how are you doing today? And thank you for joining us today on Congo Live. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm well, thanks. And how is it over there in Belgium? It's quite chilly, quite rainy. Seems to be uh, uh, that uh, fall is now sort of coming to an end. But mm -hmm. it's all peaceful, yeah. Well, as we talk about the movie uh, Elephant's Dream, the first question I have for you is, why did you select that title, An Elephant's Dream? I think it's kind of to put people in a different uh, mindset when they go to watch the film. I mean, there's so many films you get to see on doc specifically on documentary festivals that always have like horrible titles that put you in a certain um, kind of very dark and painful and horror mindset. And I thought like Elephant's Dream is more a poetic one. In a funny way, I dare to say also, but that's, that is full of irony. It's like when people think it's about elephants, they might come to the film and actually then learn much more about the Congo, which is then a different film about Congo than what they used to see, which is about, yeah, quite dark and horrible stories, mainly about the eastern provinces. So it's, for me, it is kind of a uh, conscious choice, deliberate choice to put people in a more poetic mindset. Also, I feel that the elephant is, of course, has a, has a beautiful metaphorical value. It's kind of, it could sort of represent the size of, of this huge uh, and beautiful country, Congo, but then also it sort of refers to the, to the memory, the, the colonial memory, the pre-colonial memory, and then, of course, the dreams are the aspirations, the hopes, etc., of, of, of the, the protagonist who we are about in, in the film. I see. So, with uh, the dream... Uh, that we have uh, within the film. What are the, some of the aspects of the film without you know, telling everything about the film? Uh, can you tell our listener uh, what the film is about? Um, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's actually, it's a film, it's, the idea is quite simple, I would say. It's a film about um, three people um, working for the civil service in, in, in Congo, and specifically in Kinshasa and, and Kisantu. There's this one lady who works in, in the post office, um, but there's not so much post, post coming in, neither leaving the post office. There is uh, the two friends at the railway station in Kisantu, the Bakongo, who are actually awaiting a train to come, but there's uh, about one train a week. It might have changed now, but uh, around shooting, that was the reality. And then there is uh, the lieutenant and his colleagues at the fire station in, in Kinshasa that sadly caught fire. As I so listen... No, go ahead. No, no. 
What I wanted to ask you was, uh, before we get um, more into the film, because I definitely want to find out a little bit more about the three characters that we hear in the film and a little bit of the realities that you experienced in the Congo. You being a Belgian, how did you get into the Congo? I know that we have a history that's connected, but um, how did you come into your own in being connected to the Congo? I think specifically this, well, there's two things. I think... Uh, definitely, I, I kind of had already uh, traveled quite a bit throughout the continent um, and, and in a way found a lot of stories that I, that I want to share and specifically more like stories about the daily life. Like a previous film I made was about a mixed marriage in, in Morocco, in Fes. Um, and Congo specific, I think the main motivation for me was, as you, as you mentioned, of course, there's this historical... Um, um, link we, we, we have and, and we all know the, the very painful realities of that um, but also I felt that there really was an urge for me to, to tell a different story a story that's more universal more kind of attending to or aspiring to um, people that we all would meet every day I mean we all have a post office worker in our family or a railway station workers or firemen it's kind of a very universal outlook on a country that country outlook on a country yes, sorry that people more over sort of linked to yeah to violence to dark stories and and and, and i felt that, like this would be a very good occasion to to tell something different to tell something more humane universal that people then afterwards are christian to find out more about what were some of the things that uh, kind of surprised you uh, when you got to the Congo uh, while you were still in the idea phase of your project? Uh -huh. um, I think, yeah, there's this, this definitely the, the notion of, of me being Belgian. And I think, of course, well, to be fair, I'm, I'm 36 years old and, and, and I'm living the, the, I would say, the, the cosmopolitan and geopolitical life that I'm in now, but uh, definitely one of the first things that I noticed when I when I arrived there was very often to be to be accused to uh, to be Belgian and you the Belgians and, and and why did you leave us and and why did you leave us in this situation and and you are our uncles a very very confusing stage of the project I mean in in, in that sense that um, it it's sort of almost um, put this, this huge kind of barrier on, on, on um, really going in a dialogue with the characters naturally, you know, like, like on, a, on a very universal, humane level. So I think that was the most fascinating thing. Like it took quite a couple of weeks or I would say maybe even a month before I could sort of surpass that and, and, and really, really delve into the, the lives and the worlds of the characters. Um, so I think that was the most confusing thing. Um, the other thing was the uh, extreme uh, notion of humor and irony of, of, of uh, the people that I met. A very, very positive outlook on life, very realistic also, but um, very, um, yeah, very humorous and very resilient uh, people. Um, what else? There's so many. On, I was, I, well, no, no, no. I, I actually have a specific question. Um, on 
One Women Army, there's an article that's written. It's called The Elephant Stream, Congo's Reality, and Christophe uh, Bizin, a multi-dimensional documentary. On there, uh, you talked uh, to go a little bit back on the importance of changing the narrative of how Congo is perceived. There's three specific people that who are on this movie. You have Henriette, you have Simon, and you have Les Lutanons. Um, in there, why did you specifically choose to pick a postal worker, somebody who's at a train station, rather than uh, any other individual that we may see in the Congo? Why specifically yeah. these three areas? Yeah, I think it's, again, it's, it's, it's a kind of areas that we all almost forget about how, how universal they are, specifically maybe to, um, to a Western audience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's to say, if you go to a, to a, to a post office, you, you almost kind of, yeah, how to say, it's like these very universal um, professions in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's fascinating if if, if I show the film to to people in in, in different countries, they uh, the, the 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 biggest compliment I would sort of tend to get is is that they almost forget that they're in Congo. Why mm-hmm. do I say that? Because it's like when people think about Congo, they they more often think about sadly and 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 also a very integral part of of the reality of Congo of of the wars and of the rebels, and of the violence, and of the rapes, and of the lootings, and which often sort of results in the fact that people kind of forget these individual stories and individual narratives, multidimensional characters, you know? Like, yeah, Harriet, she's, she might be Congolese, but actually she's Harriet, and as we meet her, she works in a post office, and, and she has been hardly paid for years or decades. Same meeting Simon, who, who loves Franco songs and Taboulet songs, and happens to work in this rail station. And the, the biggest compliment I got was, was, was uh, one of my audience members who was like, I, I've never been to Africa, I've never been to Congo, but I'm so with Harriet. She's such an independent woman, she's such a feminist woman. Mm-hmm. How how her um, how she's taking care of her uh, taking care of the haircut and how she's taking care of the house and the, and the kids and how so independently goes for her job every day, uh, albeit she's not paid. And I think that's that's a that's a huge thing. And then afterwards, hearing that these audience members are then researching more about Congo and wanting to find out more and of course discover the, the tragic realities, but then also discover the musicians like Balogi, like Leki, discover artists, discover maybe the Biennale in Kinshasa, etc. I mean it's just one one little yeah, one little bit of this of a story of a huge country that I try to hey, have you been uh, to Paris lately to see uh, Congo Bote? I haven't seen it yet. I'm definitely planning to go. I saw it was uh, it was now staying staying on longer. I think till beginning of January. Yeah. Um, so I definitely will go. I heard wonderful things about it. Yeah. The, the reason I'm bringing up the question, especially when you start speaking about the artistic scene, uh, mm-hmm. what in in the arts when you were on the ground, what were some of the things that you saw that you you thought, oh my God, Mozart, I'm saying Mozart, uh, Picasso doesn't exist. <laughs> I think definitely. Uh, uh, well, I think he's now also known, but uh, the the astronaut, the Congo astronaut. I mean, the whole yes, concept yes. of sort of you know him probably. Yes. Yeah. The astronaut. Or you don't. 
He's on uh, a song, Baloji just had uh, his album, yes. uh, his last, latest video, he had him on, on there. So it was quite interesting to see yeah. um, that art form even in the Congo. I mean, that's what I'm always uh, amazed with uh, is uh, the art, how it's now yep. shown. And, he, and when I looked at um, your film, you had this uh, young kid, or he, he seemed that he was even doing yoga in the film. Absolutely. Uh, um, I mean, that's kind of a thing to to delve even more deeper in, in in the kind of film that I try to do. Is also like I should should add that I'm that I have I have a background myself in contemporary music and theater. So for me, there's always this sense of imagining reality. I mean, nothing is what it is. You know, like documentaries far too often sort of linked to uh, reality, like almost a. Um, forensic reality of a situation mm-hmm. and what i think that that i uh, that what intrigues me a lot in working in kinshasa is like and of course specifically in this post-colonial periods of uh, the the daily lives of civil servants is also this sense of performing you know the performative aspect aspect of how do you cope with a reality where you're hardly or not paid where actually the basic, meets, um, the basic means for doing your job are, are unexistent or hardly existing. And, yeah, there is a certain humanity and pride. And how do you cope with that reality? And it might be just the aspect of taking care of your costume. It might be the aspect of how you approach uh, customers. Even if they're not customers, how do you still... It's funny you bring up this sense of, of yoga, the young boy who makes these contortions. I, I often see also the three characters as almost three meditation poses, like how these three different environments sort of uh, in, um, uh, invite a different meditation uh, pose, if that makes sense. And as I listen to you um, share a little bit about the irony of, you know, you have all these artists coming from whether you be a producer, whether you be a musician, whether you be an artist. And then you have these two, uh, three specific people who every day go to work and they're not getting paid. Uh, we live in a reality looking from the outside where I can't imagine how many people I come across who feel the need that the foundation of what they are really comes down to whether it be money or whether it be something that they can compensate to show for the work that they do. What do they get from going to work every single day despite the fact that they may not get paid? Mm-hmm. I think there's a certain sense of um, status for sure, which is again something I guess quite quite universal. Um, the sense of I go to a job that is that is that should be stable on the on the outside definitely. I mean, you work for the state, so there is. I think, I think again, that's something quite quite universal that you go to your job uh, in in your costume, you you prepare yourself, and and the family around you mm-hmm. um, definitely respects that, or and and also expects something to that you will bring back. It also, I think, um, aspires to a certain hopeful future like there might might be um uh, a pension scheme uh, retirement there might be uh there might be anything to do with uh your health uh, health security social security although that's still not all in place i mean they 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 live in a certain hope that one day it will change and i guess also being part of that um structure that that of course is linked to to the political system they they i guess they they cling on to that, thinking like, okay, one day it will, it will definitely better for sure. I know. I think there is there is that sense of, of, of yeah, pride and status, and and 
and um, and being yeah uh, feeling necessary or feeling feeling integral part of society for sure. I definitely also get a sense of a purpose, you know, finding yeah. a meaning within themselves when you talk about what is happening in the Congo with the war. You know, you don't want to be subjected to the reality of what's around you every single day. Exactly. So it's about creating and even though, you you know, like you mentioned, an imaginary world where although you may not get compensated for it, at least there's something that you look forward to every single day versus you being con- stuck in a constant state of uh, feeling like you're stuck, like you had mentioned even in the article where they feel, you can feel like you're in limbo uh, as I, I saw something. And then um, even in listening in that, do they, do they get a sense of, you know, you have a train that's coming once a week. You know, what are you doing for the rest of those like, days? There's definitely this sense of purpose, uh, for example, at the post office where Harriet uh, more often say, uh, uh, said a lot of times, like, it's, it's like a safe haven. It's like, it's not a church. Mm-hmm. She goes to church also, but it's like a safe haven. It's quite a hostile building because it's all and run down, but still there's something safe about it. It leaves you quiet and in peace. There's not a family expecting things from you, so that's one thing. Um, rail station, it's a bit more peaceful, it's a bit more quiet, um, it's also uh, the countryside, so at least, and then I come to your question, what, they do, what do they do aside that? For example, Simon and his wife, they have their little um, bit of uh, agriculture they take care of, so mm-hmm. a, a little field at least to, to, to cover the family. Um, he also, but I'm not sure what the situation is currently, but I f- remember that he also had for a while a student staying at one of his little rooms. Um, so a tiny bit of rent coming in. So, yeah, the, the, the thing off, there, there is a certain sense of entrepreneurship. Absolutely. Sorry, yet I'm not so sure. That has been changing quite a bit. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely a fact that Whoever I talk to, there is always a whole list of jobs they do, and uh, they're very, very multifunctional and very uh, flexible and very versatile. Well, the let's only thing I yeah, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. The only thing I tend to uh, ask myself, but mm-hmm. uh, my personal um, reflection on, on on working on the film for four years, is uh, anthropologists tend to say often like, ah, yeah, there's a there's this concept of informal economy. Mm. And definitely in Africa, and specifically in Congo, and in a, in a big city as, as Kinshasa, uh, that 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 works. But I, and that's why the government or why the state doesn't work. And I'm slightly um, hesitant to to to, com- to to affirm that because I feel like, for example, a dear friend of mine who grew up during the Balkan Wars. He told me once a story, I mean, he's a couple of years younger than me, and he told me this story that a couple of years ago, um, yeah, when, when the war was going on in, in the Balkans, his father suddenly came in the house and said, ah, uh, dear family, find all the pieces of the car outside. He basically completely uh, put the car um, in parts and, and asked the family to sell it on the market, mm. in a way, informal economy. And for me, it feels like, you know, that's... I think that's also a really day-to-day sense of survival. And I'm a bit hesitant to say that everybody needs to be an entrepreneur, that that's the only solution for society, that everybody needs to have this sense of individual responsibility and, 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 and sense of success. I think that is a bit of a dangerous concept of a society, but that's my personal take on it. I think it's uh, very um, inspirational to watch these three different individuals in a country where 
uh, <clears throat> it's very difficult to find jobs and there's no sense of accountability with anything that's going on. And I definitely want to speak a little bit more about your experience in the Congo. But first, let's take a short break. And then when we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Thank you. today with uh, Christophe, who is the producer of the movie Elephant Dream. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> and um, you were basically sharing a little bit about the three individuals that you have on this movie, An Elephant's Dream. Um, one question that I had in specific as I'm listening to you talk, um, I'm always interested in finding out what are the expectations of those people that you may be working with who are on the ground of the Congolese who are outside or the people who are outside of what they face every single day. Mm-hmm. I 
think that's a very yeah, it's a very interesting question. Um, well, I think it, the expectations, which yeah, they kind of changed uh, over the time that I've been shooting there. Like mm-hmm. started shooting in 2010, no, two, yeah, 2010, and finished shooting in 2013. And um, I think yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. Like for example, the um, I knew that in the post office I was definitely looking for a, a female character and not a male character. Why? Talking expectations. The first characters that I met uh, shooting in the in the post office sort of resulted in male fi- male characters protagonists sort of doing political monologues towards the camera. I can imagine. And that's an interesting one. Yeah, it's fascinating to see like how they then use this 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 medium as ah there is a there's a white Belgian young young man, and we're now going to take our time to to share all our political thoughts and positions etc. Mm. Like okay, you know, it needs to be a female character because it's quite a bureaucratic and um, environment. So it's it, I need something else. Then the first female character that I encountered, possible protagonist, kind of was lovely, showed me around, was very open in, in, in the problems, etc., of the post office, but almost went into this whole thing of, um, yeah, actually, we need this and this and this and this, and this is the amount of money we need, and this is the, the, the things are lacking, and it then resulted in, in, in a possible portrait of a female character uh, asking, yeah, this is the amount of money you can transfer on this below bank account on mm. your screen. <laughs> And then Harriet was this beautiful exception uh, because she even initially refused to be filmed for uh, three weeks, <laughs> but showed me around, was very critical, was very open. Of course, politically, she would keep quiet uh, on the surface, which, which I completely understand and, and respect. But uh, after three weeks, I was getting a bit uh, nervous of, uh, I still don't have a main character and what I'm gonna do. Yeah. And then we had this long, long conversation talking about converse, uh, expectations where, where I would clearly say like listen I can't possibly um, agree with you like a, a wage or a, or a completely payoff of, of, of uh, how you will be collaborating on the film we can have yeah, little uh, li- little yeah, we can have dinners together or we can have yeah, little things to make your life uh, the, easier when I'm here but I can't possibly be the yeah you know, um, it's interesting uh, in how you shared, the, you understood the value of turning on the camera in the Congo and what it can do. I can only, you know, not guess, but I know of instances where a narrative was skewed because the director did not realize the context in which people who represented themselves in front of the camera and why they did what they did with the relationship that comes with the camera, the filmmaker, and the person in the film. So I'm very appreciative of you noticing that uh, head-on and uh, finding the right character for the film. Um, But what I'm interested also in hearing is, after you've done this film, there have been so many films on the Congo, right? And especially in Belgium, it's the perfect place to even get uh, many films on the Congo. How has the Belgian audience responded to your film? That's yeah, it's, that's that's a very interesting issue uh, to that you raise there. I mean, it's funny for outsiders saying like, yeah, uh, everything is possible in Belgium about Cong- uh, to uh, to make films about Congo. I feel for me it's a different experience in that sense that 
it's in a way well received on the on the on the Flemish side. I mean, it hasn't been shown uh, so much on the French-speaking side of the country, which is in itself interesting. But then it has to do with the political reality and context that we live in, and not not necessarily has to do with Congo. But um, it's still, I think, it's still a very tricky subject matter to talk about and to talk about very openly. I mean. I would almost say the most open audience I had in Harlem, Congo in Harlem, and I had in Toronto, uh, in Canada. Mm. I mean, that was the most open, transparent, warm, critical, etc. feedback to the film. Whereas in Belgium, it is it, it is tricky because you, you yeah we're talking with a uh, talking about a, a very troubled history that's still not uh, not out in the open, or not everything is out in the open. Um, a diaspora who, who, who positions itself or uh, in, in this in this reality in this political context. So it's not a straightforward answer, I, I realize. But it's uh, yeah, it's 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 not so easy to have a very open and transparent dialogue around such films, to my yeah. personal opinion. But what has it been for you growing up in Belgium, uh, being in this uh, dual world? Mm-hmm. Um, you mean for, for me growing up in Belgium with with this context of, of uh, colonization in the past or well, yes, I think the, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. I think it is a very problematic thing. Like uh, we have to be honest and we we have to confess that that yeah. In in my time, I'm 36. That uh, I hardly had any proper um, education during history lessons around the colonial period. Let alone the pre-colonial period, it's uh, it's it's very fascinating to to see that there's there's a there's a huge blind spot. Um, so yeah, and and also the reality of of the the, the colonial presence of of anything heritage in in architecture etc. in the country is something I got more and more aware of growing up, and actually only specifically because I was working on this project to be honest and. The previous film was called The Perfect Belgian and was this quirky road trip throughout the country that was at that time in 2010 without a government for 15 months. Uh, had to do with the Flemish and the French and the Brussels and, and, and the whole uh, community, uh, different governments. Um, and it's only then that I gave, yeah, no, maybe not only then, it's also because I lived in the UK for three years and, and that I gave. Uh, became much more politically aware and also became much more aware of, of our history and specifically colonial history. It's very painful to say, but that's the reality. I, I think as I um, listen to you, something that's very, I think, beautiful to even just think about the work that you do is um, a lot of times when we think of colonization, we have new generations who sometimes feel a sense of responsibility to do something about what their ancestors may have done. But the beauty in even listening to the narrative of uh, a movie such as An Elephant Stream is it's not just about talking about what went wrong. In this movie, you're talking about what are things that we can do right. And the Despite you not being connected to what may have happened in the past, here you are taking on the responsibility of saying, you know what, I don't want to be a victim of this past, but I want to share a beautiful story of Congo in the way that I perceive it, not in the way that it may necessarily be taught to me. Because there's always a disconnect when you automatically start looking at it as, well, you know, we did this and we did that. So you you, you yep. go into a country kind of holding back and feeling a sense of guilt. Yep, Exactly. Right, thanks a lot for that. I mean, that's a huge compliment. I think it definitely has to do with the education that I that I came out of, like 
the National Film and Television School has this tradition of um, almost like a um, uh, very open, kind, and anthropological look on, 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 on the film you want to make or the subject matter you want to make a film out of. It is really a, a very rich kind of thing to, to be doing when you go to a place and you have this kind of open open look and almost not childish naive but in a sense naive that that you that you don't judge that you just observe and that the film or the subject matter in a way almost starts directing the film and not you so there's a sort of you have to be humble to the reality that you're facing and therefore the audience in the end also has to be quite open and, and, and receptive to what they get to see on the screen the only thing and it's it, I'm really, really grateful that, that, that you bring it up because for me it feels like it's really something I feel I have to fight for and not only me but a lot of peers, colleagues, documentary filmmakers not only on stories about the Congo but basically everywhere mm -hmm. uh, whether it be Syria, whether it be gun policy in, in the States that we really, really I, I really, really want people to see more of these kind of observational films films where you don't get told what to think and it might just really end with an open question and I think that's much more worthwhile and, and on the long term to sort of uh, to sort of nourish a debate mm -hmm. than, than to show films that are I, I, I really really uh, kind of support activism but I think in documentary documentary activism do doesn't necessarily always for me fit the the goal because I think it's in a way I call myself a silent activist you know like observing scenes and, 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 and sharing them with an audience and then people you hear people almost going like oh I didn't see a fight I didn't see looting so I didn't see mm -hmm. uh, horrible fights like no surely because there's also other things but of course I, I show you something different but um, I think I think uh, as I listen to you, even when you're mentioning the word uh, activism, I think people always connect activism as something where you're going out in front of the public yeah. or and letting yeah. people know these are all the wrong things going on. We all need to stand up. And yeah. in a story even like uh, Elephant's Dream, activism can be just telling a story of an individual where it sparks mm -hmm. an emotion within you where you feel that I feel connected to this person, as you've mentioned. This is yeah. something that you can find everywhere in the world where... Now you want to say, you know what? I see what they face every single day. I want to be a part yep. of this and I want to do something. It's about sparking emotion at the end of the day, despite what that emotion may be. And that's what I see um, in this movie in specific. Uh, I really want to find out a little bit more about, about your future projects. And I want you to share with some of our listeners where they can go if they want to watch uh, An Elephant's Dream. But before we do, let's take a short break and uh, we'll be right back with that information. Okay. Il est toujours difficile d'être aimé que d'aimer. Na yene ko senga 
soki mweza lito kawana Mabele kimote mamo bebie Na pesa yo liberte osakana Na boi miso nanga etala eloko Eloko yeko bunga lobi o mama Congo Live. Uh, we have Kambali who's on the phone with us. We're talking about an extraordinary movie where uh, I hope anybody who has not had an opportunity to watch an elephant stream, you go out there and you watch it. And um, we actually have a caller who's on the phone. Um, if you can be a little bit patient, uh, let's see if I can get this right this time. And uh, hello, thank you for joining us today on Congo Live. And this is Isa. Did I get that right? Yeah, well, you know, um, if you can speak up a little bit louder, we're having a difficult time hearing you. Uh, this is Radio 1010, East of Shaw's my name. Okay, how are you? Yes, this is Radio 1010. How can we help you today? I was uh, going to comment on the show that Nati has it. I'm sorry? Is that a radio show? Oh, I'm sorry, I had the wrong numbers. Okay, <laughs> thank you for calling Congo Live. And for our callers who want to call in, make sure you call in at 410 410- Four eight one one zero one zero and uh, Christoph, we were talking about Elephant's Dream and uh, what what are your future projects? Are you planning on doing any other work in the Congo? Um, I will definitely, but uh, not straight away. I mean, I've been working on this for years, and it's kind of to, uh, to give it a bit of a break. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is a film that I will be working on, which is a family. Story and I can't say too much about it because it's it's still too embryon, embryonal, mm-hmm. uh, which is set in both Belgium, Tunis, and Egypt. Mm. The first research trip will be in fall. Yeah, we, we will be in a couple of weeks uh, in Egypt, but it's all very very starting. So it's a, a baby in in becoming. Well, I look forward to finding out more. But for our listeners who want to watch an elephant stream, where can they go to watch this movie? There's two things. Um, there will be, but not straight away. I know it is uh, possible now in Belgium, but VOD, Video on the Month, which will be uh, available, I guess, maybe in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would, I would suggest to, to stay tuned and, and have a look at uh, www.elephantsdreamfilm-film.com. Um, and if they if they keep an eye on that, they will definitely uh, see the updates either that or on uh, Facebook.com and then Elephant's Dream Film. 
there will be all the updates uh, for more screenings in the U.S. Uh, okay. So, uh, well, you know, I'm jealous that you have a relationship with uh, Baloji. Can you tell us more about uh, how you were able to get uh, some of his uh, songs for your film? Because he graciously um, donated some of his songs to, your, uh, to be soundtrack for your film. How did that come about? Well, he's, I mean, quite a, a huge fan of, of the work he's doing, and, and specifically also because he really has this uh, wonderful sense of, of poetry, artistry, and then and, and social political comments in, in, in his lyrics. So was really fascinated by, by his work, and then as simple as, as approaching him, and, and, and I showed him uh, the film, and he was really... Uh, really touched by it and, and really emotional by it and, 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 and really wanted to help in any way possible. But uh, as we, as I can now also share, he has this new album out, uh, 64 Malashit, if I'm not wrong. Um, yeah, I also have to look on, on Facebook for that, on Balogi. Uh, so he happily shared some songs uh, for the film, which I'm, I'm really happy for. Yeah. So beside uh, Balogi, uh, who are your favorite Congolese musician and artist. I mean, I'm a bit uh, uh, quite influenced Kabali by uh, by making this film and working with with a lovely character as Simon uh, at the rail station, who completely uh, sort of invited me in the whole world of Franco and Tabule Rochero. So, mm. to be very honest. <laughs> Uh, but I think it's the same thing. I, I don't feel bad about it because it's the same thing like happening everywhere. Uh, also on our end of the uh, in, in the in the Western world, the whole obsession with vinyl and and, mm-hmm. and going back in in in, in the oldies. Because yeah. also for uh, a musician as Estable Rochero, his lyrics are are and, and Franco, the lyrics are amazing. I mean, they're so still so. T- Sorry about that. Um, and just in general, we had uh, Christophe who had a movie called uh, Elephant's Dream. If you have not had an opportunity to watch an Elephant's Dream, I encourage everyone to go out there and watch the movie. Uh, Kambal, are you still on the phone with us today? I'm still on the phone. Okay, sorry. We had a little bit of a disconnect there. Today we're having a few difficulties. Um, I wanted to just mention this as you were talking about the importance of uh, music. In the movie, there's something that's just very beautiful and poetic to me. You have the guy who's sitting at the train station. He has this little small radio. And it just, uh, for me, it's very, it's, it's just beautiful to see how it's kind of like stopping in time. And he just sits there and he's listening to all these songs. So as I just wanted to mention, as I'm listening to you talk about the these people who influenced you when you're talking about Taboulet or Rochero, I can just imagine you sitting at this train station and just listening and talking and just having a moment in life where you get to appreciate the beauty of not just Congo, but the beauty of being a human and sharing yeah. in, moments with other humans. Uh-huh. I think it's really what I love doing. And also, it's, it, it also happens to me every time I, I encounter possible protagonist for my films is like one of my basic questions is what kind of music do you listen to mm. what kind of pictures do you listen to what kind of landscapes do you look at or appreciate or or uh, because it's it's one of those things that immediately inspire you to talk about fears about about hopes about anxieties about humor about it brings up all these things memories so yeah and i mean it's i have you also seen the, the little bit of uh, S- Simon having his hair cut? 
No, I didn't have an opportunity to see okay. all of it. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for you to either send me a DVD. You know, we're, we're, I'm waiting for do. mine because I, I will do. I'm truly, no, truly excited to watch it. There is this scene where Simon is having a haircut at the rail station, and it's it's magic in that sense that we were filming for about around that time for for two years, mm-hmm. and suddenly I'm just yeah sort of playing with the camera. We've worked a lot for uh, it, uh, both of us. And he's having this little haircut, you know, with a, with a gilet, uh, little knife, you mm-hmm. know, how they have their haircut there. And suddenly he starts, Di coco, chérie carissa. <laughs> it's like, it's magic, because it's like, yeah. you would never imagine him start to sing a song where he basically say, like, it's basically this song about a woman talking about her, uh, if I'm not right, uh, if I'm not wrong, about her wedding and how she feels betrayed every so often because she was made so many promises and so many hopes, and now she's sitting there thinking, right, thanks a lot for everything, <laughs> and it is so metaphorical, or it can be read so metaphorical, metaphorically, you know, in a in a light-hearted way, and that's kind of the magic you get, or the gold. They call it the gold dust when you make documentaries. You would never be able to script that. You just get it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And for those who want to find out a little bit more, if you have Facebook, make sure you go to Elephant's Dream. There's a, a trailer on there that you can actually see a little bit of a clip of what the movie is about. And uh, thank you, Christophe Belsin, for joining us today on Congo Live. We look forward to finding out about more of your work in the future and having you back on the show in Kambali. Thank you for joining us uh, today once again. And we want to thank um, Tabilulu Productions, Lubangi Munyanya, for always doing a great job of putting our shows together. And thank you for our listeners who are listening worldwide. Thank you, Christophe. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. And enjoy your, your weekend uh, there in Belgium. I will definitely do. You too. <laughs> All right. You have a great day. Okay. Bye. Mama, 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 Mami telengano namboka mopaya nania sungayo pasina pasie akei kasi lubina kozonga atandeleo mopembo tesali wateo akei kasi lubina kozonga oyanga bako yambanga mopembo tesali